Hey everybody, it's Drew from Sleep With Me, and I'm believe it or not, I'm live here uh, from Golden Gate Park, recorded live, uh, and I've got a little announcement. We're teaming up with a podcast app called Spoke to give you two exclusive episodes. Spoke is a new audio platform made by SiriusXM that creates podcast playlists to help you find new shows to listen to. The Spoke team handpicks the best moments from tons of podcasts and creates playlist clips so you can try a bunch of shows out and find something new to love. Each playlist has its own topic or theme. You could try out the Music Decoded playlist with clips all about unpacking and analyzing music, uh, or Slice of Life, which is all about the crazy or incredible things that happen to everyday people. Also, Spoke has fun, exclusive content from Farrell. And that's why I'm here live at Golden Gate Park. I just concluded uh, recording one of these episodes that's only going to be available exclusively on Spoke. I'm lying here in the grass. Uh, you definitely do not want to miss these special episodes. Download Spoke now. It's free in the App Store or on Google Play. And be sure to check out all of Sleep With Me's exclusive Spoke episodes. You can find them all at Spoke.com slash sleep with me that's spoke.com slash sleep with me check it out uh and i'll see you in golden gate park at stowe lake bye guys i want to tell you about a great sponsor i have bompus they're premium high performance athletic socks and they're so comfortable you're never going to want to take them off and because socks are the number one requested item in homeless shelters for every pair of socks purchased bompus donates one pair of those to those in need almost one million pairs donated to date 15 percent off the first purchase of four or more socks, plus free shipping. So go to getbompus.com slash feral and buy some comfortable socks. Feral Audio. Conversations with Matt Dwyer. I'm Matt Dwyer. Thank you very much for listening. If you haven't listened to the show before, it is just what the title implies. It's a free-performed conversation with me and someone super-duper interesting. Uh, today is a really awesome uh, interview. I speak with Charlotte O'Neill. Uh, now, one of my first interviews on Conversations with Matt Dwyer, it was like my fifth episode. I talked with Pete O'Neill, a, a politically exiled Black Panther living in Tanzania, Africa. Great episode. Still one of my favorites and still actually one of my listeners' favorites. And uh, as he told a story a couple, to me a couple of years ago, I always wondered about his wife's side of the story, Charlotte O'Neill, who, you know, split the country with him when he was she was 19. And I've always been like, I got to hear her side of it. And uh, we've tried for the last couple of years to get it together. And uh, finally, we we were able to talk on the phone and I got her story which is incredible and inspiring and she's this wonderfully charming woman um there might be a little bit of a technical sound problem because uh, she's on the phone in Tanzania Africa and I'm in beautiful Glendale California which you if before you say Glendale you always have to say beautiful but um so if I, I hopefully we fixed it in post but I don't know if I won't know when, as I'm recording this but if it's Hang in. If it's a little distracting, hang in there because it's such a great, great conversation. And she's really an incredible woman. And uh, you should also um, support their Leaders of Tomorrow Children's Home. 
facebook.com uh, and and uh, they they just do incredible things over there in Tanzania community center feeding people educating people it's really great and miss charlotte o'neill's story is great i love her i'm i love her she's great <laughs> but uh, i just there's just so much charm from this woman it's it's maddening um, before we get into the conversation, I just want to remind some of you, uh, I have a website, themattdwyer.com, and uh, I'm doing a special uh, come uh, maybe June and July, there'll, uh, there'll be a bunch of podcasts that I'm doing that I will be recording from the road. Conversations with Matt Dwyer is going to do a road trip, and we're going to go out there and meet a lot of fascinating people. Uh, and uh, I have a bunch of really great musicians and artists and interesting people lined up between Los Angeles and Astoria, Oregon. Um, and it's going to be a multimedia thing. We're going to be videotaping, pho- photographing. It's going to be like a huge art piece. Uh, and there's a bunch of stuff uh, about it on my website, themattdwyer.com. And uh, you can check that out. We also have a GoFundMe page on there so because uh, we, we can't afford to do this on our own. So it's a big art art project and at the time of recording we're 80 percent there so uh please go to my site thematdwire.com scroll down look around the website there's stuff about the uh the road trip we're going to take it's really going to be interesting we already put some videos up too um and that being said um listen to this great conversation with charlotte hill o'neill it's incredible to ask you because uh you were involved with the uh the black panthers at a in kansas city at a very young age how how old were you when you started uh getting involved in the organization Uh, i was 18 right before i graduated from high school and i would skip school and every time i tell the story to to some of the university students i always apologize to the professor so they don't think i'm trying to influence their youth, but I used to skip school and go to the rallies and go to the political education classes, and then I started seeing the the breakfast program and all that and the different things that were going on, but that's, that's how I first got interested in the party. And also seeing uh, news uh, about the party on TV and in the newspapers and all that, and I actually cut out a lot of articles and and it, it had taped them to my wall in my bedroom. And right in the middle was Brother Pete O'Neill. And I tell you, I I never even thought I was going to meet him, you know. But it's just some things are meant to be. And I just remember having his picture where they were announcing the Black Panther Party formation right there in the middle of my wall, surrounded by a whole bunch of other articles. Can you hear me well? Because this is sure crackling, Dad. Um, it's it's okay on my end. Uh, it's a little crackly, but... Um, okay. Looks like it got better all of a sudden. Okay. <laughs> but And uh, what was it about the, the Black Panther Party that uh, attracted you? 
Well, it, it was, well, of course, at, at first it was looking at the stance of, of all these Panthers, you know, and, 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 and how militant they looked, and in their dark shades and their berets and their leather jackets and all that. But then I started hearing more about the community programs and seeing more about it, you know, so that is, that's what drew me to the party. It was the community service. And and when you would see uh, articles and stuff like that in the media, uh, were they often uh, sort of misunderstood what they were doing? Because I know oh, that misunderstood is an understatement, Matt. I'm <laughs> telling you, it was you know it's so it's really something because I would go to some of the rallies and it might be 300 people there, and then when it's reported in the newspaper or on TV, you would think it was maybe 10 or 15 people. You know, and even the way they reported on, like, the breakfast program, and they always would reduce the numbers, you know, to to make it look like perhaps this wasn't a, a, a big deal in the community. It was things like that, you know. And uh, I said, wow, they must be reporting on a, a different rally, you know. And, to, and frankly, to this day, I... I have a very jaundiced view of the news media, you know, of course, because, I mean, they have a concerted effort to really misrepresent, and that's putting it mildly, of course, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah, because it's too—I mean, I remember as a kid, too, that the, it was more focused on—I would hear about the militant side— and uh, it wasn't until years later I heard about all the uh, the neighborhood programs and the community. That's right. And uh, and I don't I still think a lot of people are unaware of that. That's very very true. And when I go on tour every year and I speak to these young people and even some of the elders who know nothing about this history. That's one of my missions, brothers, to make sure that the Black Panther Party is not misrepresented the way it has historically been, you know, because, of course, that, to, to see black men with, with guns and, and, and to, to depict them as being violent, that sells newspapers, that, you know, that generating that fear, you know, and the same thing that's going on now, generating fear, you know, there's terrorists in every in every closet, in every cupboard, you know, ready to get us. When I was young in um, grade school, it was the nuclear war. You know, the 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 bomb is coming. So it's that's that's the news media's job, you know, uh, to generate fear and to and to make sure that dissension stays there. Because you know, if people come together, of course, that's a threat to the powers that be. Yeah. It's, yeah. And uh, yeah, I think people forget too. It's like uh, you know, with I've read Bobby Seale's book, and the the reason that they were carrying guns was to protect themselves against the police in Oakland. I mean, people. I think of course people of course forget about uh, how hostile the environment was back in the in the sixties. Yes, and the way the the hostility has increased. You know, if anything, I I think that things changed as far as police brutality for a little bit during that era, during the era of the first years of the Black Panther Party, because it was, 
you know, people were really watching what was going on. There was pressure and all of that. But I'm telling you, it has escalated beyond belief. You know, I was telling somebody the other day, it's like it's like people in the West are living in a science fiction movie. You know, all the surveillance everywhere. And it's it just blows my mind to ride down the street and have people point out all the cameras to me. You know? Yeah, it's uh, it, that's it, and you bring bring up an interesting point too because you were uh, steeped in the in in the movement and uh, in the sixties and and just of how it's like it's strange because in a way you're saying it it hasn't gotten better in our society it's gotten worse and that's terrifying. Yeah, it's true. It's true, and I can't see uh I can't see a an end to it in the future. You really, really can't. You know, because it goes hand in hand with 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 the capitalist system there, getting so out of sorts to put it mildly. You know, the fall of capitalism goes hand in hand with the rise of fascism. That's just a formula, and and the formula is being acted out. It's it's just amazing. It's amazing how all of this is happening right in front of people, right under their noses. But it's like people have on blinders, you know. It, it's just it's just thoroughly amazing. You know something else that I find amazing is when I was in grade school. I remember we had to have geography classes, right? We learned about other cultures and to a certain extent about other about other countries and cultures is what I meant to say. But you know now geography is not only not emphasized, it's not required in so many of these classes and, and to me that's by design also, you know, because if you don't learn about other people in the world, you're not going to care about them. You know, putting these blinders on people is to isolate people. It's kind of obvious. Yeah. So I speak to some of these college kids who they know nothing about the rest of the world. They know nothing about 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 history, even in America, because it's just not being taught. And and when you when you combine that with the fact that one of the most empowering subjects for youth or for anybody is art, and you see that that is systematically being taken away, also, I mean, it's just it's just really terrible. In Kiswahili, I would say polisana. I mean, so sorry for what the youth are going through in America, you know, in the school system. Can you imagine not having art? Wow, one of the most empowering things that can happen to somebody is to experience their own creativity. Yeah, it's amazing how many people stray away from it just individually these days. It's like it's like people yeah. don't believe they can can be artistic. Right. That's right. That is right. It's just amazing when that's a a God-given ability that we all have, you know. Are there any... It's just, everything has just become so specialized, you know. And uh, I think that just takes away from people's lives and people's visions and their creativity. It yeah. just diminishes a person. 
Is, is there anything that, that you've noticed that uh, perhaps improving and, and better from in the from the sixties? Maybe the maybe the road system. I was going to say the food, but that's only in other in 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 some of the communities, you know. Let me let me really think on that. Let me think real quick. Hmm, what has improved? Wow. Well, you know, hmm, that is a hard one. It really, really is because. The, the games that 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 were recognized, so many of them have been so diluted. Even when you 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 get to the the so-called civil rights era and the games that were that were uh, met during that era, all that is being diluted, you know. And then when you when you couple that with so many people now don't even have the right to vote. And that's being systematically taken away. You know, everybody seems like everybody is 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 made to be a felon now, and now they can't vote. You know. Yeah. It's, Man. It's it's. I tell you, I don't. I just can't think of anything that's changed for the better right this minute. But I'll have to email you on that. <laughs> uh. To, to go back to uh, Kansas City, and now Pete, uh, who now is, of course, your husband, uh, he was uh, the head of the Kansas City chapter, or uh, what was his title with the Black Panthers? Yes, he, he founded the Kansas City chapter, and he was the chairman of the Kansas City chapter, founded in 1968. And how did you two end up meeting? <laughs> well, I tell you, I'm writing my autobiography right now, and I'm going to have a whole chapter on how we met. But I can give you a a, 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 a small excerpt that uh, we met during, a, you know, the Black Panther Party had a strict rules of discipline. And when you broke the rules, you would expect to get discipline. So that's how we met. Will suffice that to to be uh, uh, a sufficient description right now. <laughs> so some rules were, and that was forty five years ago. That is cool. Forty five years, you know. I just I love the the ring of that, you know, the sound of that because there are so many people these days who are maybe together five years and they pat each other on the on the back for that, you know. Yeah, so we had a, a beautiful anniversary celebration for our 35th uh, anniversary, and I imagine how it's going to be for our 50th. I can't wait. You know, and to be able to still work together and, and, and still be in love and still be best friends, you know, I mean, that is such a blessing. It can't get better than that. And I, I think one of the reasons that our union has been so strong is because both of us have a background of being Panthers and of community service and commitment to, to change and trying to empower people, you know. I think that has really, really been one of the, the uh, what, what do I call it, one of the keystones. Is that a one? Keystone? I think, yes, it is. Yeah. 
Yes. It's... To our uh, to the uh, success of our union. You know, that's an interesting point you make because a lot of relationships don't have something a central focus. I mean, you know, people get married and then it's like, you know, they do their jobs and maybe yeah. they make some kids, but to have sort of higher goals and things outside of yourself, I would imagine feed into and help grow your your relationship. That's right. That is right. That is a key. And I always tell that to young married people when they ask me, what's the success of your marriage? And that's one of the things that I point out. Have something that is outside of yourself. Have something that you can focus on together in your own individual way even, you know. Yeah, yeah it's beautiful. I feel very blessed. I remember when uh, when I talked to Pete uh, a couple years ago on my show, and uh, the one thing that really... Because you two had to sneak out of the country, and uh, you were so young and I, 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 and that's such a brave and committed, I, like I was, couldn't help but think of like what was going on in your mind when, cause you were 18 and correct. You were 18 when you ended up leaving the, I was 19. 19. I was 19. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, it's a crazy story. Big difference, huh? <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, but so- you know, it, it wasn't, it's, It's really something the way I recall it now. It wasn't like a sacrifice. It wasn't like something that was just terribly frightened, something that was just horribly traumatic. It wasn't like that. This was, it was like this is supposed to be, and we're going to deal with it, you know, and we're Panthers, and you keep your chin up, and you just, Go on with life. That is the way I looked at it. That's, yeah, yeah. That's because, um, and you and I. Just for those people who might be listening to this without listening to Pete's, I mean, there was like these uh, somewhat false gun charges on Pete, and you guys had to leave otherwise. And it's like, and people were prosecuting the Panthers uh, a lot under false, you know, fake murder. Oh, of charges. course, of course. And, and so much of that is coming out now, you know, and, the, and the threats against his life and, and the way they would just keep piling up charges. You know, we got, we got Panthers, we got comrades who have been locked down for more than 40 years. That's what happened to them, you know? And I think so many people back in the day, they just didn't think outside of the box that you you didn't have to stay there, you know. So many people had no experience, I think, of even going to another state, let alone another country, you know. So he was, I, I think Brother Pete was very innovative and very creative in his thinking. Yeah, and you weren't frightened, because, I mean, I remember Pete telling me you guys had to s- sneak out of... Uh, Sneak from under, through like a basement or something to another home and out the back where they yeah. d- drove you off and <laughs> fake IDs yeah. and uh, which. Right. In, in the trunk of a car, you know, and 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 even though I had claustrophobia, it was like, well, you just got to deal with this. And then to this day, when I have things that I have to deal with, I call on my, my ancestors. And I call on that panther spirit, 
you know, to this day. And I've talked to some of my other comrade sisters, and they say the same thing. It's something about, I don't know, it's just something about having gone through those experiences that really put a lot of steel in your spine and a lot of fortitude in your attitude, you know. Really, really does. And that's why I always say that's been a blessing. That prepared us so well for for all this work that we've done over the years, you know. And that's one of the legacies of being a Panther. Yeah, and I mean, and it must have been, though, a, a culture shock because you went from Kansas City to Sweden. <laughs> it's like, was that just a bizarre experience? Wait, say it again. I'm sorry. Say oh, it again. I mean, you went from Kansas City, and then uh, you and Pete went to Sweden at first, correct? Right. Yes. It's, which which was a mind blower for me because I'd never been out of the country before. You know, you know, Brother Pete took me on my first plane ride when I was 18 years old, going to I think it was either California or New York. So, you know, that was the first time I'd been out out of the country. That was the first time that I really saw uh, or experienced European or, or, or European culture, which is much different from, say, like uh, uh, European Americans from the from the South or from the Midwest or from wherever. I mean, these were different kind of people. You know, the the racism wasn't as apparent and as in your face and as heartfelt as we have experienced so much in in the West or in America. You know, people were really, really friendly, went out of their way to make sure that you felt welcome. You know, the young, you know, you got to consider the time, too, because, you know, Sweden was was a haven for or or a, you know, haven is a fine word for, for, um, War resistors. So you had a lot, a lot of youth and elders there who were against the Vietnam War and against war in general. You know, you had you had people who were really exploring uh, socialist thoughts and really progressive ways to live. You know, they I think they were some of the forerunners of, of preserving even, you know, the ecology and all that. So these were some different thinking kind of people, and uh, I, I, after the the trauma of of being in that environment, and I remember when we landed, and there were actually these geese or ducks or something walking around <laughs> walking around the the airport area. And that just blew my mind. I remember just bursting out in tears when I saw that because it was just so different. And it was really like, like, uh, what was it, the Wizard of Oz, where that phrase is, uh, you're not in Kansas anymore? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, well, that, that was a moment. Like, that was a Dorothy moment. You know, it really, really was. But after after we really got into it at least uh me i i loved exploring like some of the streets even though it was very very cold there you know and i remember we i'd have to wear three pair of pants and i don't know how many sweaters and coats 
But I love going to some of those castles, you know, and going to the smorgasbord and all that kind of thing. It was just a different culture. How did your family take when you were leaving? Did did you have time to say goodbye to them? or? Oh, no. Not only did we not have time, we didn't want to tell them because they were under constant surveillance also. You know, we didn't want to put that kind of pressure on them where they would have to to, to lie about where we were or, or anything like that. So, no, we didn't tell them. And I remember... My father was a fireman then. I remember going to the fire station and, uh, you know, just trying to make it like I was saying goodbye, you know, see you tomorrow or whatever. And I was trying not to cry because I knew that we probably wouldn't see our families for at least two years. That was kind of our target, the date to come back some kind of way. Uh, was two years, you know, and I'm sure he must have thought something was wrong, but uh, he didn't try to explore that. So, no, we didn't tell them. We couldn't tell them. We didn't want to tell them. So, you know, after some time, maybe a month or so or a couple of weeks or whatever, there were uh, reports in the in the paper speculating about you know, where Brother Pete is. Has he been assassinated? You know, he's in South America. He's in Canada. He's here. He's there. So they're reading all this, you know, and don't know what has happened to their son-in-law or their daughter. So I tell you, when my mom was on her deathbed, I apologized to her about putting them through that grief. Could you not write letters or anything? Oh, yes. Yes, after a while. Yes, we sure did. We did, but it must have been at least a month, I would think. And and I often think, I said, now what if we didn't know where our children were for a whole month? I'd be having a fit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Pete still can't return to the United States, can he? No, he can't. No, he can't. It's just, it's just you know, absurd. I think the justice system there is pretty vindictive. Even though there have been campaigns to, to get him, um, uh, is it exonerated or um, whatever the term is when you wipe, when you wipe uh, the slate clean. There have been uh, uh, petitions, people join up petitions for for several years, you know, it's been an ebb and a flow, an ebb and a flow, and that's still going on, you know. But Brother P constantly, you know, lets people know that, yeah, that's fine and good. You can go through all those moves and all those changes, but, you know, he's, he's fine. And he's leading a very blessed life, you know, but he... It would be good. It would be great. It would be a blessing if he was free to go anywhere in the world, if he was free to go visit his mom and, and walk the streets in Kansas City and, and be able to, to to reach more youth. You know, we have hundreds of youth who come here to, to learn from him, learn from his example. But if he was able to go on tour the way I tour every year, think of all these young people who would – Benefit. So, you know, it's America's loss. It really, really is. It's the community, and people say that all the time. 
They say this is the kind of person we need who can be on the ground to to help influence and to help mentor these youth who need it so much. So his he his focus is is on the political prisoners who so many people they have their head in the sand about that also. You know. He says focus focus on them also and let people know that there are, 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 are brothers who have been locked up sometime in, in solitary confinement for more than 40 years. God, that's yeah. heartbreaking. And, but he, yes, and, it is. It is. You, you wouldn't uh, ever come back here to live, though, because you have created this entire world there. Oh, of course. You know, the, the, to visit, yes, to tour, yes, but I can't see myself living there. You know, I really, really can't. And yeah, that's when I talked to Pete a couple of years ago. Like, what really inspired me is that he spent, or you both have spent forty years. Now it's forty plus, creating a community, and and taking care. You know, of taking in these children and giving them education. And it's just like it was, it was a. It kind of woke me up. It was like, what are you doing? <laughs> Hey, you know, and and it should. It's it's, and that's why I'm saying it's such an example. And you know, I always tell people, and I shout it to the rooftop that Pete O'Neill is my greatest inspiration in life. You know, I mean, he's my greatest inspiration, and I'm just so proud that I've been able to 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 walk this journey with him. You know, and 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 to see that something like this has has just grown from nothing. This is something that we built with our own hands and our own ingenuity. You know, and our own strength and our own blood, sweat, and tears. And so many people come here, and they see, you know, they see how it is. They see the classrooms. They see all these different buildings. They see the children thriving and, and our, our our older youth, you know, doing so well and walking with confidence and all that. And it's almost as if they think this happened overnight, you know. So many people become disillusioned when they try to, to, to build something like this and think it's going to happen in two years or three years, you know, or whatever. So, you know, it's really beautiful and it's a blessing to be able to inspire people and and to be able to to bring these questions to people's mind. What am I doing? What can I do? Can I do it? You know, that's a blessing. It really is. And so many youth they they say, well, there's you know we don't have the benefit of having a Black Panther party. We don't have the benefit of having a, a United African Alliance Community Center over in the States or whatever. We don't have all these leaders. We don't have We don't have this. We don't have that. And I tell them, don't wait for that. Don't, you don't have to wait for an organization. You can mentor one child. You can mentor five children, and that can grow. You can show someone how to transform some of those empty lots that you see in, in all these cities across America into urban gardens. It's something that everyone can do, you know. 
that's the way we started. You know, you start small and then it grows. You plant seeds, you water those seeds, and watch them grow. And yet, and, and, and and that's the that's the blessing. It's it's such a blessing when when we hear from from youth who have gone through the programs here and they come back and and they acknowledge the blessing of having learned here of having gain their confidence, uh, you know, that, that is just, that just makes you feel good. Yeah. And your community center, you literally built it from the ground up. I mean, there was nothing there before, correct? Well, say it again. Your community center was literally, uh, built from the ground up. I mean, you went, Oh yes. It was nothing. Oh yes. Oh yes. You, you know, um, when we first came to Embassy village, there it, you know, it wasn't populated like it is now. People had larger farms with just, you know, m- much fewer people. So this was virgin land here, you know, and, and we had to clear the stones. I'm talking about with our hands, with our own hands. Of course, we were both much younger then, you know, and and we cleared the stones and we made the bricks and and we were doing this and that and planting all our food and just living off the land. When, when I tell people we were pioneers and we were homesteaders, I don't use those terms loosely. That That is the life that we lived for years, you know. And, and we were able to, to, to make a living off of these skills, off of... Of, of our food products, you know, and 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 we passed by a place called General Tire just the other day, and it just made me remember that we used to supply that factory with I don't know how many chickens a week, and the hotels and sausage and and cheese and and eggs and all of that, you know. I mean, we had the mustard corner, the mustard market corner. And the Kansas City barbecue sauce market corner. You know we did all of that. <laughs> I can picture Brother Pete on uh, up on those windmills that 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 he that he carved with his own hands. When I talk about homesteading, brother, I'm talking about homesteading, cleaning out the the pig stalls and and all of that. <laughs> yeah. So yes, this was this was virgin land and. The first community center was actually in another area where some of the elders were giving plots of land to people that they thought would do something with, and they wanted to build up an area it's called Machiachi. So that's where we built the very first center, huh? And it became so crowded because so many people wanted to to take advantage of what we were offering us stage there, workshops, artists would come and do do workshops there. I even had a paper mache furniture workshop for some of the women, you know, and it became too small, and we were having to go there every day, which amounted to maybe, mm, I guess, eight miles back and forth. So we said, well, let's build something here, you know, and because the elders in the community had warned us to. They wanted us to introduce things like English here. The first building, the first classroom, if I remember, was the Malcolm X Theater. And that's where Brother Pete took these computers that someone had had given, had donated, and most of them weren't working, 
and he was able to take parts out of some and build, I think it must have been eight computers, if I remember. And our first group of students, and I saw the, the picture not too long ago, it must have been eight or ten students who were our first graduates from the uh, computer class. Yep. And then it just grew from there. People said, well, can't you offer English? We build a class for that. You know, well, can't you offer music and this and that? Till it has grown to, to offering these classes on a daily basis. To Right now it's like, I think, 40, 50, 60 students. Uh, every day, and these classes are free. And instead of a breakfast program, we have a lunch program for them. And then you have the, the 21, 22 children who live here, the leaders of tomorrow children's home. You know, there's something going on here all the time. And and that's something that I like also. We have opportunities for our young people and our children to, to interact and to learn from people from all over the world, which broadens their way of thinking and, and, and increases their confidence. I mean, they can deal with anybody. Yeah, it's... it's... You know, which is beautiful. Yeah, I've, I mean, I, of course, see all the photos and stuff uh, you two post on Facebook, and I just, I remember the video you took a bunch of kids to, and showed them the ocean for the first time, and it's just... Yes, yes. It's beautiful to watch, because it's like, you know, it's a little something I think a lot of people, especially in the States, take for granted. That's right. That's right. As a matter of fact, not only did Brother Pete take them on their first trip to see the ocean, most of them he took on their first car ride, on their first elevator ride. On the, Some of them had never even been to, to town before. Uh, so just, I, I often think, I said, look at the stories they're going to have to tell their grandchildren, you know? Just think of the excitement in these kids' lives, and it spills over into to the to the children that they interact with also, you know, the children that they play with. So it spills over. It's like a chain reaction, and I like that. It's 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 really incredible. It's, I mean, it, it's I'm feeling inspired by just talking to you about it again. It's like it makes you go like, oh, I can do more. It's not that. That's right. That's right. And, you know, the responsibility is great. But, you know, it keeps us inspired and it keeps us on our toes because you know that that, that people are looking, they're, they're looking for you to be an example. So, you know, that's why I say it keeps you on your toes. You don't, you don't want to let people down. You don't want to let yourself down. You don't want to let your ancestors down, you know. That, that's, that's something that I think about all the time. So, yeah, I need to give me a glass of water or something. How much more time we got, brother? <laughs> just a just a few more minutes, actually. If uh, okay, um, I just, my jaws are getting tired. <laughs> <laughs> I just I wanted to talk to you about two more things because you also you're performing and you're touring because you you also sing and you do poetry and I, uh, I oh yes uh, and what oh yeah uh, what kind of 
singing? You, you do you do like jazz? Am I mistaken or blues? I thought you. I do. I sing in a jazz style. I sing in a blues style, and some people call it Afrofusion. And I play traditional instruments also, and I, I'm a drummer also. So I play. The first traditional instrument that I really started playing was a instrument called an obokano. It's an eight-string lyre, L-Y-R-E, as opposed to a harp. And it comes from the Gusi community in Kenya. I also play the nyatiti, another eight-string instrument that comes from the Lua community. And the interesting thing about these two instruments uh, is that they were taboo for women to play. I'm actually the first woman to play the obokano. And and we're teaching some of, of the youth here to play it because, you know, I don't want to remain the first and only. And then uh, the uh, Nyatiti is an interesting story about that because there was a study abroad student from Japan who went to Kenya and got intrigued with the sound of that instrument and found somebody to teach her. She went and lived in a little village for three years, learned the language, learned the instrument, married a Luo man, and went back to Japan and became a superstar. Her name is Anyango, and I got a whole bunch of respect for her opening the door like that for Susan uh, Uio and Ati Sanai and then myself. So it's really four of us who actively... Um, play the Nutiti, you know, for women musicians. So one of my one of the one of the things that I really want to do is go to this Goosey community and play for the elders there. So they'll know that me being a woman playing isn't like dissing anybody's culture. It's like just it's really honoring the culture and the fact that I'm an artist and any any artist, any musician should have the right to play. You know, and I play in my own style. Of course, learn some of the traditional rhythms, but because Kansas City is very much in my blood, a lot of my music comes out with, um, uh, of course, strong blues and jazz overtones, and uh, I like that. And I'm a poet. Yes, I I do have one book published, um, Warrior Woman of Peace, and. Uh, uh, I'm finished with my other one. I just got to publish it. And like I say, I'm also writing my autobiography. Uh, I've gone to many countries in, in Africa because of, of my poetry. And also I've gone to so many states and cities in America and, and Ghana. And, um, yeah. So this is what I always tell people is, 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 it can be very, very good for a person to realize their their creativity. You know, that's what fuels just about everything that I do, and I emphasize it to the young people here. You know, that's essential. Whether you're going to plan to be a doctor or a lawyer or a politician or whatever, you know, explore your creativity because that, too, will spill over into everything that you do. That's great. Uh, that's a great place to end because it's a very good message for <laughs> for everyone. Yes. I just want. Yes, it is. 
I just want to make sure that we, uh, my my listeners, know where they can uh, find your music and your your poetry, and of course support your community center. So, if there's any of those, uh, where they can find that online. Oh, definitely, definitely. They can they can uh, Google my name, Charlotte O'Neill. They can Google uh, Pete O'Neill. That will take them to our website. That will take them to to my music on uh, SoundCloud and, and a lot of YouTube videos. Uh, uh, Leaders of Tomorrow. They can they can they can Google. They can go to Leaders of Tomorrow. Dot com. That's probably the ch- wait. Leaders of Tomorrow Children's Home. Dot com. Now, I think that would be the easiest thing for people to remember. I think Leaders of Tomorrow Children's Home. Dot com. I also want to, to uh, uh, announce that um, we're hosting. Well, I'm the host actually of the Black Panther Party. Uh, legacy celebration that's going to be in Kansas City, and people from all over are coming for that. And it's going to be, you know, celebrating the community service that is indeed a strong legacy of the Black Panther Party. It'll be in October, 17th to the 19th. So if any of your listeners want to come and participate, they're welcome. That would be great, and. Why do, you, yes. why do you think there's a, such a resurgence of interest in the Black Panther Party? You know why I think it's because that history, that history of community services now being widely recognized at the same time the dirty tricks of the government is being recognized, the, the, the COINTELPRO, all of that is, is coming out now. So that has has really caused a resurgence of interest in the Black Panther Party. And plus, there's a lot of books out now and even movies, and I would be happy to add my book to it. Yes. Great. Thank you very much, Charlotte. It's been great talking to you. Okay. All right. You take care, yeah? You too. Thank you very much for listening to Conversations with Matt Dwyer. Uh, like I said, visit mattdwyer.com. If you could donate some money to the Leaders of Tomorrow Children Home, that would be great. Um, or my GoFundMe page. I know that's uh, these are both good things. Uh, definitely Leaders of Tomorrow Children's Home. That's a more important endeavor than anything I've ever attempted to do in my life. But uh, that being said, I'm going to quote Pete O'Neill from the... F- first episode or so that I did with the O'Neills power to the people